Romans 8, 31 through 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. As we turn our attention this morning to Romans chapter 8, we're going to spend a few minutes today thinking on this idea, our security in trials. We, of course, have been going through a a brief four-week series that I've titled uh, Survivor, how we can faithfully endure a season of suffering, and we bring that to a conclusion this morning as we think about this idea of our security in trials. Of course, uh, as we look back at this past week, we kind of realize how we even more desperately need to hear a word from God about our security in adversity. Who would have uh, believed that uh, this week we would have for a few days gone corona what uh, because we had so many other things happening here in our area with uh, the the fire that was raging and and that impacted so many people we actually or at least i did for a day or two forgot we were going through another crisis of coronavirus so uh it's it's fitting for us i believe today to come to this idea to think about our security and trials and specifically i want us to think this morning as we look at romans chapter 8 verses 31 through 39 about what it means to have a sense of security as we go through adversity Well, we've already thought about what God's purpose in our trials might be, and and we looked in the book of James at what our response to those trials should be. And last week in the the first part of Romans chapter 8, we we saw some hope that we have as we go through adversity. And so today we look at that last part of Romans chapter 8 and the security that we have. In fact, what Paul does in the last part of Romans chapter 8, he gives us four assurances that we can grab a hold of, that we can hang on to, that provide us security as we go through adversity. And so this morning, that's all I want to do is share with you for a few minutes those four assurances from Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39, that give us our security in trials. Assurance number one is this, 
We are secure in Christ because there is no opposition. We're secure in Jesus Christ, even in adversity, because there is no opposition. Listen again to what Paul said in Romans 8, 31. He says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is on our side, who can oppose us? And he's asking a rhetorical question that, that we have the answer to already, and that is no one. Now, now let me look at this question for just a second. Is there such a thing as opposition to followers of Christ? Absolutely. I've got some emails to prove it to you. There is such a thing as, as opposition to, to followers of Christ. There, there are people who don't like what Christ is doing in you. There are some people who don't like what Christ is doing through you. Nehemiah had those challenges with Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem. Even Jesus had his Judas. So there are people who don't uh, necessarily like what God may be doing in your life. There have been, there always will be, enemies of Christianity. Here's the question I think Paul is getting at. That yes, in the grand scheme of things, we're going to face opposition. But is there really anyone out there who can oppose our salvation and the security we have in Christ more than God is for it. Is there anyone whose opposition against us is going to be greater than God being for us? And the answer is absolutely not. And the proof of that is in verse 32, where Paul says that he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Think about what he's saying. If God was willing to give you the greatest thing, his son, do you not think God's going to handle all the smaller things? That's everything else. If God did not spare his own son, do you not think that he's also going to graciously give us all things? He's going to give us this security in Christ? Do, do you think that God is going to go so far as to send his son to save you only to somehow lose you on the back end? Only to somehow forget you in adversity? It's absolutely impossible. There is no opposition that's greater than the degree that God is for us because, look, God has started something in you that he's going to finish. You see, God and I, we're different in every aspect, but we're very, very different in the fact that what God starts, he finishes. There are some things, there are some projects I started 20 years ago, and I'm still waiting for him to get complete. Go ahead, wives, nudge your husband at home. Uh, we know that's true for you as well. That's not true with God, though. 
Paul will tell us in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6 that he was confident in this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What opposition out there opposes you more than God is actually for you? Absolutely none. You are secure in Christ in adversity. You can count on him forever because there is no opposition that's greater than he is for you. That's assurance number one. Assurance number two is this. We are secure in Christ because there are no accusations. It's not just that there's no opposition. There are also no accusations. I want you to, to look at verse 33 again with me if you've got your Bibles open. Romans 8:33 asks this question. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who will bring any accusation against God's elect? Now, here, hang with me for a minutes. This is fascinating to me. Scripture answers this question in, in other parts. In fact, the, the verses aren't going to be on your screen, but you can look them up sometime, or you can turn to them now if you want to. Uh, I'm going to read them to you. Scripture does reveal to us that we have an accuser. His name is Satan. In fact, the way that Satan is pictured in Revelation chapter 12, he is referred to in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10 as the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night. Think about that. Satan stands before God's throne constantly taking our sin, putting it before God, and accusing us. God, did you see what he did? God, do you know what she did two years ago? God, do you remember what they were doing just a few days ago? And it can become very tempting for us to listen to those accusations, especially when we experience adversity and when we suffer. And if we listen to those accusations, we end up concluding maybe all this suffering, maybe this adversity is because of something I've done. Maybe I'm experiencing this bad thing in life because God doesn't love me. And Paul says, no, no, no one can bring a charge against you once God has saved you. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? No one can do that effectively, the apostle Paul says. And the reason's very simple. God has already laid down a verdict on your life. If you have a relationship with him, he's already declared a verdict on your life, not guilty. And because he's made that declaration, Satan's accusation is silenced by the gospel the accusations against us are not heard because we were justified on the basis of God's Son and His righteousness, not ours. And that's why I love what our, I referenced to you a while ago, Revelation 12, 10, which says that, our, that the accuser accuses us before God day and night. Revelation 12, 11 says this, but they have conquered Him, the accuser, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. 
look, I am not a perfect person. I am not a sinless person. I am not a clean person in my heart. But I stand clean before God even though I'm not because Jesus has declared me through the gospel. Because I have a relationship with him, because of what he did for me, he declares me righteous before him. We have security because we overcame the accusations of our opposition by the testimony of the blood of the Lamb. Christ has saved me because of his work, not mine. Is there opposition? No, not that screams louder than the fact that God is for us. Is there accusations? Can, can, can Satan accuse us of not belonging to God? No, not because of what Jesus did for us. That's our security. But here's the third assurance that we have. We're secure in Christ because there is no condemnation. There is no condemnation. There's no opposition. There's no accusation. There is no condemnation. And that provides us with security in our adversity. Look at what it says again in verse 34. Who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, it's it's so amazing, who indeed is interceding for us. Watch what's happening. Man, there's something happening beyond what we can see. There's something happening in the cosmos that's beyond our ability, but it's happening nonetheless. It is fascinating. Satan accuses us, and he accuses us with the intent to condemn us. Satan's goal is for God to reverse his decision to justify us, and the way he tries to do that is by continually putting our guilt before God. So the question is, can he? Does Satan have the power to reverse God's decision? Is it possible for a follower of Jesus to be tried over and over again for the same sin? There was a song many years ago, and I don't mean to chase a rabbit, but it's my Mother's Day gift to you. Uh, There was a song many years ago that that was made popular by a singer named named Ray Bolts, and and I remember remember singing the song, Does He Still Fill the Nails? And the answer to that, uh, I think, Ray Bolts meant it for it to be yes, but the more I study Scripture, the more I come to the conclusion, the answer is no, no. There is no condemnation. It's been taken care of. Because of what is said in verse 34, Jesus Christ is the one who died. I'm not the one who died for my sins. I can't pay the penalty for my sin to satisfy God. But it was Christ who died. And more than that, it was Christ who was raised. There's no condemnation for me, not because I'm not guilty. There's no condemnation for me because the penalty for my sin was paid once and for all by Jesus Christ. He paid the price. He paid it all. There's nothing left for me to pay if I have a relationship with him. I'm not free from condemnation because of what I've done. If it's based on what I've done, I'm guilty. 
But it's based upon what Jesus has done and what he did for me on the cross. You say, Pastor, that doesn't sound fair. It's not. That's why we don't sing ambivalent grace, how sweet the sound. We sing amazing grace because it astounds us. It shocks us that God would take our sin and give us salvation, and in giving us salvation, remove our condemnation, and in removing our condemnation, give us security in him in the face of trials and adversity. Paul is telling us that Jesus, in his death, he became our substitute. He became our condemnation. His resurrection overcame the grave. It allows us to be a new creation so that all condemnation is removed. That's how I, why I love how the, the chapter of Romans 8 opens up where Paul says, Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who were in Christ Jesus. And look at what he said. This fascinates me. In verse 34, he says that Jesus is at the right hand of God interceding for us at this very moment, Jesus is at the right hand of God, interceding for us, deflecting every accusation and destroying all condemnation. And as Satan stacks the evidence against us, Christ defends us with his evidence, his nail-pierced hands, his nail-pierced feet, his pierced side, his sacrifice for our sin. There is no opposition. There is no accusation. There is no condemnation against you if you belong to Jesus in the midst of suffering because of Jesus. And then there's a fourth and final assurance. We are secure in Christ because there is no separation. We're secure in Christ because there is no separation. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, or wildfire, or COVID-19, or cancer, or bankruptcy, or rebellious child, or rebellious parent, an absentee father, or an absentee mother, a bad upbringing, a difficult situation, can that separate us from the love of Christ? The question is, Paul answered it, it's fascinating. The question is followed by seven different kinds of trials or sufferings that the believer can encounter. And Paul's question is, will any of these separate us from the love of Christ? Now, now watch me. Can these things happen to a believer? Absolutely they can. Absolutely. 
In fact, look what he says in verse 36. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Now that's a quote from Psalm 44. Who was That, that psalm was written by the, by the sons of Korah. And they were lamenting all the calamities they were suffering at the hands of their enemies. So can these things happen to a believer? Absolutely. Can any of these things separate us from the love of Christ? Absolutely not. In fact, the Apostle Paul, and we don't have time this morning to look into it, but, but in 2 Corinthians, look, look this up this afternoon, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul described that six of those seven things he experienced, and then he would eventually experience the seventh thing, death, because of his faith. The Apostle Paul experienced all of those things, and he with confidence said, they do not separate us from the love of Christ. Now, we need to be very careful at this point. Because there are some standing behind pulpits today who will teach that if I'm a Christian, if Christ loves me, that God's going to protect me from those things. God won't allow those things to happen because he loves me too much. Therefore, if I'm experiencing any of these things, it must mean that God doesn't love me. It must mean that I'm under God's judgment. It must mean that I'm separated from God's love. That is not at all what Paul is teaching. In fact, this will be the most important thing I say to you in this sermon today, so hear it very clearly. Paul does not say that the love of Christ separates us from these things. He says these things cannot separate us from the love of Christ, and that's a big difference. He's, he does not say that God's love for us will keep us from these things. He says these things will not separate us from the love that Christ has for us. No, he says in verse 37, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It's not just that we cope in our trials, we can overcome them. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is no separation in Christ Jesus. Listen to this preacher this morning. At no time, in no place, in no way can anyone, can anything ever separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, you are his. When you come to faith in him, you are his, and you are his forever. You are secure. And we don't have this security because we're smart enough to find God's love. We have this simply because God stooped down and grabbed hold of us and saved us. If you belong to God today, you have absolute security.
and your adversity. But the flip side is just as true. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I know it'd be nice to say that we're all in this together regardless of what side of the mountain we're riding up to try to find God and everything else, but the problem is it's, just, it's biblically not true. If Jesus is not your Lord and Savior, you do not have this security in adversity or in life. It is Jesus who makes the difference. It's a relationship with Jesus. It's not your goodness. This virus has not picked and chosen people based on how good they are, how bad they are. Death does not care about your age, the color of your skin, your socioeconomic background, or where you live. Last I checked, we're all terminal. It's a point the man wants to die. What makes the difference is Jesus. My question to you today is, do you have a relationship with him? Has there been a time in your life when you confessed your sins to God and you simply trusted in the work of Jesus for you on the cross? If you've never done that, you can make that decision today. Right where you are, you can pray something like this to God. You can say, dear God, I realize today that I'm a sinner and I have no hope. But Jesus, I realize that you died for me. And I believe that you paid for my sin on the cross. So today, I ask you, Jesus, to save me. I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe what the Bible says about you. And I trust in your death and your resurrection to give me eternal life. Amen. If you prayed that or something similar to that from your heart, Scripture teaches me that the Holy Spirit then indwells you and He that empowers you to face whatever comes your way in life. You now have hope. Maybe you are already a follower of Jesus, but you haven't been living in that hope. It's not God who's left, my friend. God is still there. And it's not God who's going to make you run 100 miles to come back to him. What I found in my journey is that when I walk away from God and I turn back, he's right there waiting for me. I don't know what next step you need to take, but we want to be able to help you take that next step. If you've made a decision for Christ today, if you need to make a decision for Christ today, I simply ask you to do a couple of things. You can go, can go to our website, fbcmilton.org, and on the website you'll see a link there, My Decision. You click that link and you'll be able to share with me. It comes directly to me. You'll be able to share with me the decision that you have made or that you think you need to make today. And we'll spend some time this week communicating with you and, and helping you take the next step. If you've got questions beyond that, you can always send me an email at any time, jrussell at fbcmilton.org. 
And we would love as a church leadership, as a church family, to walk with you as you take these next steps in your journey. If you woke up this morning and you didn't have hope, you don't have to go to bed without it. You can have hope, you can have security today, but it's not found in what you can manufacture, it's found in Jesus Christ. Before we wrap up our time here together this morning, we want to make sure that we make a very important announcement to you today. I'll go ahead and tell you that I'm not going to give all the details of this announcement right now, and I'll tell you how you can find out all those details in just a second. But let me say for our purposes today, that next Sunday, May the 17th, we will begin the process of regathering on our church campus for Sunday morning worship. Now, we're going to continue to provide this online format that we have done these last eight weeks. And we are especially doing this, of course, obviously for the community as a whole, for anyone to be able to hear the gospel at any time. But we are especially doing this for those who might be considered a vulnerable individual or for those who may be still a little bit uncomfortable. And it's fine to be a little bit uncomfortable about getting into a crowd again with everything that's taken place over the last month or, or two. And so that's, uh, that's perfectly fine. That's why we're going to continue to do this right here as we've done the last eight weeks. We'll continue to provide these same formats. This is, this is not a, a flip the switch and we go back to normal. Uh, next Sunday when we open the campus back up next Sunday, not during this week, but next Sunday, May 17th, when we open the campus back up, we are going to have some physical distancing protocols in place. We will have several preventative measures in place to, to minimize uh, close contact and things of that nature. Uh, we'll have an AM service only at 1030. We will convene here in the sanctuary. We will also use overflow rooms because we will be social distancing. Uh, physical. They don't want us to use social distancing anymore because it's no longer PC. So we'll do physical distancing here in the sanctuary, and then we'll have some overflow rooms in the FLC. Uh, there will be a 20-minute video that we've prepared. Uh, I know that you've got lunch plans. That's why I didn't want to go into the whole spiel this morning after our service. We have prepared a 20-minute video as well as a printed document that outlines all of these details. That's going to be available on Facebook and on YouTube at 3 p.m. today. Give you time to go home. Well, you're our home. Give me time to go home uh, and uh, try to, to, to pamper mom a little bit, make a couple of phone calls to, to my mom and to wish her Happy Mother's Day and hi, mom, and all those other things. But uh, at 3 o'clock this afternoon, uh, you can access that video. It has all the details. It will, uh, as well, later today, I will email our church membership a link to that video. I will email you the document that has everything, as much info as we can give you about that. So if, if someone, maybe someone doesn't have capability of email or, uh, or, or Facebook or YouTube, uh, if you know of someone like that, then just have them call our church office tomorrow morning and we will mail them a copy of that paper document. Uh, more than anything else, I want you to understand that we don't want you to feel pressured to return. In fact, there are some of you who don't need to return just yet. 
Okay, you need to wait this thing out just a few more weeks, so we don't want you to feel pressured to return if you are at a higher risk or that if you're just uncomfortable. We're still going to provide this uh, ministry for you, and we'll continue this hopefully from here on out. Uh, but know that, that we do plan on next Sunday to begin the process, the, the phased process of regathering again, and we'll keep monitoring that. We'll keep praying about that. We'll keep talking with experts about that, both here in our church and those uh, outside our church to, to make the best decisions possible. I'm so thankful again that you joined us today. I uh, hope that you have a great rest of the day. I hope God will give you rest. I hope that God will give you a good time uh, with family and friends today, and I look forward to seeing you uh, in the coming weeks. Before we dismiss, let's bow together and pray. Father God, I'm so thankful for the hope and the security we have in Jesus Christ. Father, on this day, we are especially thankful for our moms, for those who have made an impact in our lives, our grandmothers, stepmoms, adopted moms, people who occupied the role of a mom in some ways. Lord, I know you have blessed my life over the years uh, when, I, when I left home at age 18 to, to go and to, to move to different states to, to serve and minister. You always put people in my life who, who functioned as a, a mom real close to me, and I'm so thankful for all those individuals. Lord, we, we pray today that you would uh, allow our families to enjoy time together, Lord, that you would give our bodies rest from the, uh, the long week that we've had. And God, we uh, look forward to beginning a process of regathering. But Father, we pray that you give us discernment wisdom as we take these steps. We love you. We thank you for all that you've done for us. In the good name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you soon.